Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Helen Holliman, and welcome back to the Munchies Podcast. Today, we're going to be drinking tequila. And mezcal. So we recently paid a visit to our friend Phil Ward. How are you? I'm good. How are One you of guys? New York's great bartenders over at his restaurant and tequila and mezcal bar, Maya Well. So we sat down and Phil poured us some tequila. It smells like vacation. And mezcal. Woo. And we got to chatting. It's funny because the first mezcal I tasted was probably about 15 years back in Pittsburgh. And I was at a party and I was really drunk and I went outside. And my friend, uh, my friend uh, came out and he's like, oh, you want to try some mezcal? I'm like, I'm already there. I'm like, okay, I'll try it. So I drank the mezcal and then I threw up. So my first taste of mezcal was I threw up. But of course, he grew to love mezcal. Just the variance and nuances of flavors in mezcal, I really think it's probably greater than any other spirit. And then Phil told us something that was a bit of a buzzkill. There's a lot of uh, people who like uh, study agaves and things like that, and they really think there's a good chance that like the blue agave could just just like, peace out. But don't worry, because today we talked to the guy who is actually trying to save the agave, Rodrigo Medellin, also known as Batman. If you didn't have the bats there, your crop would be gone. But before we get into what bats have to do with tequila, this show is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com and our offer code MUNCHIES at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build the beautiful. Last week, we paid a visit to our friend Jimmy Keithley over at the Darty Bar of Ice Hangout and found out that his band's website had been taken down by an evil dude. Fucking Blake the Snake, man. <laughs> Watch out for that guy. So Jimmy came into the office so that we could help him make a new site using Squarespace. Jimmy's not the most technologically advanced guy. Jimmy, how long have you had this computer? Uh, maybe five years. Wow. I don't really use it for much except for like Law & Order SVU and <laughs> um, I guess that's it. But anyway, we got started. I have a lot of photos and um, the logo. And then I have some music on my computer, but I don't know how to convert that onto a website. Okay. And if you know how to do that, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We picked a theme, and we found a picture for the homepage. Dave jumps through the fire. That lo- oh, yeah. That's a, you know, keep it fun. <laughs> Lighthearted. We uploaded it. Wow. The Darties and, and it was looking right, awesome. We're getting there. We're getting there. With Squarespace, sites look professionally designed regardless of skill level. No coding required. It's got intuitive and easy-to-use tools. Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. It's trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world. It starts at just $8 a month, and you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial today with no credit card required at squarespace.com. 
When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code MUNCHIES to get 10% off your first purchases. Squarespace, build it beautiful. All right, get excited for the next installment next week. And in the meantime, before we get that website up, go to the Darty Bar. Back to the show. So I went to one of the greatest places on the earth, the Museum of Natural History, to sit down and chat with Rodrigo about how the bat, one of the most reviled creatures, came to be so crucial to food production and to saving your tequila. up in Austin and it's sort of bat central in North America if you will and um, yeah they're scary to people you know because it's <laughs> they, like <laughs> yeah they they have a they have a, a, a unfortunately a bad image in the public eye where did that bad image come from it's it's really a funny and sad story at the same time uh, if you go back to pre-Columbian times all across Latin America the image of bats was extremely positive. They they worship bats for every single thing. The Maya calendar has one month, the Zots month, which is the month of the bat. The month of the bat is it's almost equivalent to the month of October, which is a very happy time for the Mayas because that's the harvest time. And this is the Zots month. The, there's a there's a group of Indians in the south of Mexico called the Zotzils. The Zotzils is are the men of the bat. So they're batmen. Batmen. That's that's <laughs> a town of batmen exactly. So that was the image in pre-Columbian times. At that time, let's say 1500s and even before, the te- the term vampire was only associated with a human being that was dead that would come up and wake up at night to find humans to suck on their blood. There was absolutely zero connection with the, f- with the shape of a bat. Nothing. Then, in 1519, Hernán Cortés came to Mexico with his incredible uh, script, Bernal Díaz del Castillo. The first night that they spent in Veracruz, their horses and their soldiers were bitten by this tiny little thing flying out during the night, which is what we call today a vampire bat. Bernal Díaz del Castillo recorded it as saying, well, there's these little animals that come out at night and they fly through the forest and they're landing on the horses and on the soldiers and biting them and eating their blood. Okay, fast forward to 1860 and then in Ireland there's this incredible writer Bram Stoker writing a a novel with the title of Dracula his vampire is a human being that is looking for blood in other human beings but suddenly Bram Stoker realizes that he needs a way for his vampire to move long distances fast. And then he's a history buff. So he goes back to the history of the conquest of the new Spain. He flips through the pages. He finds that reference of these little bats that are feeding on the blood. And he says, done. My vampire is going to turn into a bat 
fly through long distances, turn back into a human and buy people. That is the actual beginning of the negative image of bats in today's society. Also, so when you work on the conservation for the conservation of bats, you have to start by changing the image of these of these animals and convincing society and local people, landowners, etc., about the importance of bats for themselves, for the ecosystems, etc. That has been my life for as long as I can remember, trying to convince people to not fear bats at all. Tell me about the first time that you stepped into a cave and maybe you were doing research on bats, but tell me about the first time where you fell in love with it. It's branded in my brain with fire. I mean, I, I can clearly see that cave. And every time I can, I go back to that cave and the same feeling surfaces up again. Um, so this is in the state of Guerrero on the way. It's, it's almost half halfway from Mexico City to Acapulco. That is where the cave is. At that time, I can tell you that I was the expert on African mammals in Mexico. I knew everything about African mammals. Um, a professor at the University of Mexico, William Lopez Foreman, takes me to this cave. And in this cave, I find well, we find six species of bats coexisting. And then William starts telling me that there's, a, there's an insectivorous bat, there's a gleaning bat, there's a nectar-feeding bat, there's a bigger nectar-feeding bat, and there's a vampire bat in that cave. And my mind goes... Uh, so then I start to look at them in detail, and it's just... It's, it, my passion just exploded. This is, this is it. This is, this, is, this is where I belong. So, you know... In sort of the food and drink world right now, people are really into mezcal and obviously tequila and it's having a moment and, you know, bats are never the first thing that comes to people's minds when they hear about the issues that are going on with blue agave. So I was really surprised to learn, is it the long-nosed bat? The lesser long-nosed bat, yes. Which sort of looks like a unicorn. I mean, it has, can you describe (laughs) sort of what it looks like and and. What's the deal? All right. So um, before that, if you don't mind, yeah, please. Uh, we, can, we can cover a little bit the ecosystem services that bats provide for us. There's three main ecosystem services that bats provide for us. One is they are the top predators of agricultural pests around the world. It's been demonstrated over and over again on rice fields, on corn fields, on wheat fields, on cotton fields, all kinds of things. You don't have your bats, you lose your crop. The second one is seed dispersal. Dispersal of tropical seeds in tropical forests around the world again. Uh, in, In countries like Mexico, we have, you go to the markets in Mexico and you find this incredible diversity of tropical fruits. At least half of those tropical fruits are dispersed by bats. From sapotes, chico sapotes, black sapotes, white sapotes, um, to guavas, to figs, uh, all kinds of different fruits. And then the third one is pollination. Pollination of many ecologically and economically important species of plants. Lots of trees, lots of columnar cacti, the big cacti from the southwest, 
are all pollinated by the same lesser long-nosed bat. Lots of people have seen hummingbirds visiting a flower, a butterfly visiting a flower. But at night, this is not evident to anybody unless you are in the right spot at the right time. So if you go to, a, to an agave field or, or, a, or a columnar cactus field, what happens is that the bats are doing exactly the same thing as a hummingbird. Same thing. Hovering, extending their very long tongue into the uh, cup-shaped flower and licking out the nectar and the pollen. The nectar is basically a reward that the plant is giving its pollinators. And then in the process of licking the nectar, the bats stick their heads into that, those flowers and their entire face is covered with pollen. You, you catch them and you see them. Their, their faces are yellow or white, depending, on the, depending on, the, on, the, on the pollen, of course. So then that animal, completely covered with pollen, moves on and visits another flower. And that is when pollination happens. And that is when you start having the process of producing seeds, which is the sexual reproduction in plants. Um, enter tequila. The original name of tequila, though, the original name of tequila is mezcal de tequila. Mezcal from the town of tequila. But in those years, and we're talking maybe 80 years ago or something, uh, uh, mezcal was the beverage of choice of construction workers. It was basically bootleg, it was basically illegal, it was extremely cheap. So it was not, it didn't have a, a high profile in the upper crusts of Mexico. So some marketing genius decided to drop the name mezcal and just call it tequila. For all practical purposes, it's one more mezcal. But then it was such an incredible uh, commercial success that they started developing it into a, a denomination of origin, kind of what cognac is for the brandy. So they, uh, they identified a certain region of Mexico, mostly Western Mexico, one, two, three, four states of Western Mexico, where, you, where it's the only place where you can plant blue agaves and produce tequila. That's it. Now, there's no country in the world that has more species of agaves than Mexico. Mexico has 200 species of agaves. The blue, the, all of the agaves, what they do is they, they accumulate sugars over years. Depending on the species, it may take them from 6 up to 20 years in terms of building up the amount of sugar in the plant so that it, it ends up accumulating enough sugar to send that incredible flowering stalk up into the sky, which is many times bigger than the actual plant. That basically costs the agaves their lives. They invest the entire amount of sugar that they have accumulated over years into that one reproductive event, right? So the... When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. 
As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Tequila producers found out that if you, if you harvest the plant before it flowers, of course, all of that sugar is contained and concentrated in the head, what they call the head, which is the nucleus of the plant. And that is what you roast and that is what you press, and the juice is extremely sweet. You let the ferment, and that is what you ha- what you uh, distill into tequila. Same thing happens with mezcal. How do they reproduce the plants if they're harvesting harvesting them before they bloom? Well, it so happens that blue agave and many other agave species produce what what we call is that something's happening <laughs> my belly is not very happy I don't know why um, all I'm right. right there with you <laughs> it's lunchtime yeah it is lunchtime all right so so you have those those plants that are not allowed to flower how do they reproduce they produce little clones of the same plant at the base of the plant. So the tequila producers are using those same clones to replant and replant and replant the same fields. They use, little by little, they keep identifying the plants that grow the fastest, the plants that have the highest sugar contents, and those are the clones that they choose to continue replanting and replanting. Over the course of maybe 50 years, they have purified the the um, varieties of blue agave into millions and millions of plants. It's about 160 million plants in 400,000 hectares of western Mexico planted with two clones of agaves. Basically, genetic diversity is zero. Zero. All right? They keep doing that. They still do it to this day. So 20 years ago, I got in touch with the with industry, with the tequila industry, and I told them, well, you may be creating the perfect storm. Um, you have lost all of the genetic diversity of agaves because you will not allow the, the plants to bloom, and you will not allow the bats to do their work there to keep uh, genetic diversity up. Um, how about how about allowing maybe five or ten percent of the plants to bloom as a payback to the incredible service that bats have given you in terms of having those plants? Number one, and number two, as a safety insurance to keep maybe some disease at bay and have a little bit of of of, of resistance to the disease, to the potential disease. Oh, thank you, Dr. Medellin. Oh, yeah, we'll call you. Don't call us. Sure, no problem. Never, right? That's 20 years ago. 10 years ago, I tried again. I said, there may be a disease in the brewing. 
that is going to affect your, your fields. Thank you. Don't call us. We'll call you. Well, eight years ago, the disease showed up. I swear I had nothing to do with it. Of course, right? Uh, turns out that uh, a, a combination of a fungus and a bacteria is attacking the, uh, the agaves. Uh, the disease is called the sadness and rot of agaves. And they affect the agaves in their fourth to fifth year. And they harvest them in the six to eight years. So that's that's a terrible news for this industry. Then the industry came back and they said, hey, what was the story about the bats and the pollination and so on? So I told them again. And they said, okay, so let's sit down and discuss this. Is there a possibility that this may actually be true? I said, okay, first, a disclaimer. I cannot guarantee that allowing the bats to come and pollinate your plants is going to defend your plants from the disease and it's going to fix the problem. I cannot promise that. It's not going to happen in the next year for sure. It's not going to happen in the next five years. Maybe in 10 years' time because you've lost all of the genetic diversity. Maybe in 10 years' time you are going to have some plants that are going to be resistant to the disease. But right now, nothing. So so then they said, all right, let's do it. I am talking about, you know, the tequila industry is huge. It's a, it's a $2 billion industry in Mexico. 40,000 families have their income derived from the tequila industry. So it's really, really big. I cannot, I'm, I'm not working with the big, big companies yet. Uh, we we're working with uh, four companies that are producers of about six or seven brands of tequila that are like mid-level uh, in terms of the amount that they produce. They um, they produce maybe a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand liters of tequila every every year. These people are the key individuals that started this process developing into something that is now taking root in terms of uh, recognizing the value of bats as pollinators of the agaves and as providers of genetic diversity. That's the tequila part. Now let's look at the mezcal part. Mezcals come from eight different states of Mexico. They use 10 or 12 different species, not varieties, species of agaves. And just because of that, the field of mezcal is a lot more interesting than tequila. It's a lot more varied, a lot more diverse, much more diverse even than whiskeys, than single malts. There's a lot more diversity there in the mezcals. So, I mean, it depends on, on the species. It depends on the, the, the climate where they are growing. It depends on the soil. It depends on the altitude. And it depends very significantly on the master distiller, whoever is in charge of distilling and keeping what they call the head of the distillation or the tail of the distillation. The head of the distillation is full of uh, methanol, and, and methanol is not good for you. Methanol is the one that gives you the headache, that gets you blind, etc. Uh, uh, and then the tail of the distillation 
the, the thing that comes at the end of the distillation process is full of terpenes and other secondary metabolites of a plant. So it's also toxic. Now, if you keep only the body, you end up with a vodka. Zero taste, full alcohol, full ethanol, and nothing else. So it's not interesting either. So it's up to the master mezcalero or master distiller how much of the head and how much of the tail to leave in the final product. And then you have some really amazing, really amazing drinks. Wow. <laughs> uh, I was talking to, to, the, to the mezcal producers not three months ago. I went to visit them. I, I talked to Don Emilio Vieira, a man from uh, the state of Michoacán, a 75-year-old man who told me that he used to go with his grandfather to the neighboring city of Morelia to sell mezcal. They would bring their beasts, mostly donkeys, completely loaded with jars with mezcal. But they would be dodging the police, number one, because this was illegal. Only 40, 50 years ago, it was illegal. Um, and, and then they would sell it on the street like that. Very cheap. Incredible product. It's, it's really bootleg. It is bootleg. Even now, it's bootleg. Only a month ago, I was, I was with my students in the mountains of Guerrero. And of course, I'm always looking for a good mezcal. So, so I went, we went into a <laughs> tiny town, tiny little town, and, and I started asking. And they directed me to this tiny little house where a very old lady, all curved and everything, was transferring mezcal from a big bin to soda bottles, to soda bottles that they're reusing. I said, can I taste that mezcal? Of course. We sat down. We had a great conversation. She said, I'm 73. And the doctor told me, you're too old to drink. You cannot drink any more mezcal. And I said, if I'm not going to drink, I might as well die today. <laughs> I want my mezcal every day. That's what the lady told me. <laughs> well... Of course, the doctor said, okay, keep drinking your mezcal. <laughs> well, that mezcal, I bought, uh, I bought eight liters of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, those eight liters have pretty much gone. What is your favorite way to drink mezcal? Neat. Absolutely neat. But then you take a wedge, as a very thin slice of of orange, you dip it in a salt that is composed of salt, chili pepper, and the famous worm. The worm that sometimes people see <laughs> in bottles of mezcal, and there's a whole myth around it. Uh, people have told me the weirdest, the weirdest theories about this worm. They tell me that if you eat the worm, you get high. That is absolutely not the case. <laughs> not at all. Number one. Number two, putting a worm in there is a perfect waste of the worm. The worms are incredibly tasty. Incredibly tasty. Roasted in a salsa. You take a tortilla. A hot, warm tortilla from the comal right there. 
you smear half of an avocado and then you sprinkle a few of these worms that were just recently roasted. Oh my God, you're in heaven. <laughs> what kind of worm is this? This is, this is the, the caterpillar, the larva of another moth that is eaten by other bats. <laughs> so it's bat food. It is bat food too, <laughs> when they're adults. So when, when you, I always go, this is, this is the month of May and June. From Mexico City to the pyramids of Teotihuacan. That is a stretch of land where most of our agave worms come from. Gusanos de maguey. And you see them on the street, you see them along the highway, the big sign saying, Gusanos de maguey. And you see them and they're alive. I always buy them alive. Bring them home, put them in a plate. Next morning, the worms have uh, weaved a layer of silk on top of the plate, like that, right? To protect themselves. Sorry, guys. You're dying <laughs> very soon. <laughs> Uh, so you, you basically put a, a pan on the stove, let it heat up, and put your worms there. They're going to start twirling and squirreling and everything. <laughs> Pretty soon they release their own fat. So they're frying in their own fat. They end up crunchy, incredibly tasty. So I use those for salsas in like tomatillo salsas or in tacos just like that or for my salt for my mezcal so what you do is you have your little dish of this particular salt with uh, uh, salt and chili pepper and the ground worm you take your piece of, uh, of orange you take a sip of your mezcal and then you dip a little bit of the orange into the salt and you bite into it the combination is amazing it's really, really good. It's like the evolution, or it's the, the cycle of life that's completing itself, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> this show is just the tip of the iceberg in the complicated world of what's going on with agave and tequila and mezcal. So if you want to learn more about some of the interesting things that people are doing to try to make things more sustainable, head over to tequilainterchangeproject.org. Thank you so much to Phil Ward and Justin Shapiro of MayaWell. If you haven't been, you should definitely go check it out. Thanks so much to the American Museum of Natural History for letting us crash one of your offices. And thanks to Rodrigo Medellin for taking the time. Rodrigo, I'm sure you're in a bat cave wading through tons of guano and loving it. And thanks to you listeners. We'll be back in a couple weeks. So in the meantime, for all of your delicious food content, head over to munchies.tv. Find us on Instagram, simple at munchies. And we're also on Twitter, at munchies. And Facebook, too. We'll see you soon. Bye.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.